Welcome to A Problem Squared, a podcast where we solve problems. I'm Matt Parker, a mathematician and performer, I guess. You look very confused there. I know. I've never had to specify my career in one sentence. I'll confirm. Yes, you are both of those Thank things. You. And I'm Beck Hill and I'm a comedian and friend of Matt. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a much more succinct job title. Yeah, we're called Problem Squared because a problem squared is a problem halved. Y- y- provided it was half a problem to start with. <laughs> because if you square a half, you get a quarter, which is a half of the original. Ah, oh, done. Solved. Let's go home. <laughs> problem zero out of the way. <laughs> um, so what we want to do is say hello. First of all, this is our first episode. Thank you so much for listening in. We're, we're kind of learning as we go. Yes. And uh, thank you for any retrospective listeners or future listeners. What, where are they listening from, Matt? Oh, yeah, because I guess everyone listening now is either an early adapter. Thank you so much for getting on board. Hi. Or years from now, once this is it's a home uncovered slick, after the apocalypse. <laughs> so all that. Right. Or, um, yeah, I guess finish your completers. We'll come back to listen the, to the first episode. Oh, yeah. And that's when they go, oh, that's why oh. everyone told me to start from episode 10. <laughs> that's why they said you got to push through the first couple of years, but then yeah. it gets good. <laughs> so whatever reason you're listening to this for, thank you so much. The idea behind this podcast is that Beck and I will use our incredible skills and niche experiences <laughs> to solve problems. So listener problems that get sent in or even problems that we have ourselves. Yeah. And funny you should say that because I have a problem for you. That's convenient. Yes, that is Good. convenient. I want to know what the deal with shoe sizes is. Ah, Right. Shoe sizes. I looked into this because you've often complained about shoe sizes. Yeah, because they changed. It doesn't matter like where I buy my shoes from or what country I'm in or none of them make sense. And they don't go up the amount that you expect them to, like a size seven to an eight to a nine isn't like the same amount of distance. It is. is So it is sort of. So when you asked this question, I was like, oh, they're numbers. It's some kind of measurement. I'll look it up. And it's a mess. So there's European sizes. Mm-hmm. which are big numbers. So I'm like a 44, 45-ish, I think. Yeah, which I guess. Which you guessed. As well. I used to work in a bowling alley and that is also where I became obsessed with shoe sizes. Yeah, you can look at someone's foot and say what their European bowling shoe yeah. size is. I got your UK size too. You did? Yeah, it's, I was real chuffed. It's one of your bizarrely less creepy transferable skills. <laughs> and so uh, then you've got UK and there's, there's no genders on UK sizes. They're just UK adult sizes. Yeah. But in the US, you've got men's and women's Yeah. Sizes. And I think in Australia as well. Oh, they're the same as they... I think so, yeah. Right. And all of those, by the way, are the same scale. They just increase by one. So if you're a shoe size 10 in the UK, mm-hmm. that's a men's 11 in the US, which is a women's 12. So you just go up by one. The UK size, add one to get US men's, Wait, add one to get US women's. a 10 men's is a woman's 12? Yes. Oh, that does my head in. I know. It's mad. Because women are meant to have smaller feet, so they shift the scale. <laughs> it, oh, goodness knows. I wear a lot of men's trainers. Yeah, well, in the UK, it doesn't matter because all shoes are on the same scale. Yeah. And in fact, kids' sizes are the same scale, but kids count from 1 to 13. Oh, yeah. And that's an, is that an age thing or? I don't know. Because well, I found out that that, yep. I, I ordered a pair of snow boots from ASOS that had, <laughs> that had rocket ships Wait on. a minute. And did they show up and they were tiny little shoes with rockets on them? <laughs> they managed, they could fit the package through my letterbox. That's I was great. like, oh, my shoes arrived today. And I was like, 
Well, I'm not mm. sure how they got them through the Could you box. take the rockets off I didn't, the shoes? I, <laughs> and I, stick them on like no, adult shoes? No, it wasn't like that. But I didn't even bother opening the packet. That's how sure I was that I had ordered Bought some children's shoes. shoes. I was amazed. I was like, finally, I found some snow boots that I want. And then when nah. they... Well, but they kids, were like a size eight. Well, kids like, sizes here are, are exactly the same scale. So a 13 in kids is a zero in adults. And then a 12 in kids is a negative one in adults. So it's like the scales yeah. just go straight from one into the next one, mm. which, which makes a lot of sense. And I'm semi-happy with that. The issue is where those numbers come from. So in the UK, shoe sizes are based on the length of a foot which makes yeah man thank you thank you no like no like 12 Good inches answer. like a foot like a Solved. foot so it turns out and i know this is obvious <laughs> but a foot is about the length of a foot so so but size that's so general because that's why we have shoe sizes because feet are different i know sizes. and so size 12 is pegged at exactly a foot which is 12 inches that's a very do you know what that is definitely been designed by a man hasn't it absolutely but not just like that is designed by a man who's lying about his foot size like well, kind of yes like, oh yeah yeah no, definitely 12 rounding is definitely up. average definitely normal yeah yeah 12 is so, average anyone who's under 12 is uh is a uh, definitely uh really small but then um they don't go one inch at a time each change in shoe size is one barley corn difference <laughs> from, this is true <laughs> One barley corn away from twelve inches. So if <laughs> is you're it the same barley corn or do, like you can, no, you can use several different? barley corns. So what shoe size are you, Beck? Uh, s- uh, between I see that's why I have an issue, but like uh, seven. About a seven. I guess Excellent. a seven men. You are twelve barley corns shorter than twelve inches. In terms of shoe size. And a barley corn, for oh. the record, is one third of an inch because the original definition of an inch was three barley corns. <laughs> so I'm, this is so true. This is why I don't like <laughs> imperial units. <laughs> so if you translate that into modern real units, each size you go down from 12 is a third of an inch smaller, which is about 8.4 millimeters. So size 12, 12 inches. And then you go up or down a third of an inch at a time as you go up and down sizes. Except that's not based on the actual foot size. That's based on what's called a last, which is like a model foot that's used to make a shoe. And for some reason, I don't know, any cobblers, if you can help us out, let me know. The shoe ends up being smaller than the size of the last. Or at least the foot that fits into a shoe is smaller than the size of the model foot that was used to make the shoe. So you have to offset everything by a fifth of an inch. (laughs) And so take everything I just said. Because like originally you would make it in leather and it would shrink? That's good. That didn't occur to me. So maybe yeah, it's leather and it shrinks down. I'm really good at coming up with things that sound That sound plausible. Yeah. Good. Well, let's go with that until we're told otherwise. Yeah, cool. So the whole scale is then shifted by five millimeters and it's a nightmare. So that's where it comes from. It is a linear scale, but it goes up in multiples of barley corns and <laughs> 12 is 12, except you've got to shift it off by a fifth of an inch. Oh, good. So if I'm ever unsure about my shoe size, yeah, I'll just do that. <laughs> now, if you want to use the European sizes. Yes, which I do. They are also a linear scale. So they increase by a set amount each time, but they're two thirds of a centimeter. So each time you go up a European shoe size, so if you go from 44 to 45, mm. your foot is in theory roughly seven, six or seven millimeters, two thirds of a centimeter longer. Where do European shoe sizes start? 
Well, the, so in a similar fashion, they're offset by one and a half centimeters. So if you multiply your shoe size in European sizes by two thirds of a centimeter, mm-hmm. and then you need to subtract one and a half centimeters from that, you'll get your foot size in theory. And because of this quirk, they have shoe sizing for a negative foot. So <gasps> a European shoe size one fits a foot of negative 0.8 centimeters. So if you're foot faces backwards yeah the, yeah if you've yeah, got a, it's no, got no. a really big heel in it yeah yeah so so why they've got a size for a negative sized foot i think it's the same deal it comes from when you had the model foot and the shoes shrink a bit but it's just honest, this is crazy it, why do crazy. we still use this so i thought i'd come up with a better system yes because you're a problem solver exactly 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 that's exactly and thank you but i've not got time for both i like it exactly <laughs> <laughs> right? I thought you just ignore the model. I don't care how they make the shoe. Ignore the, the model foot, how big that was. I just care if my foot is this size, what size shoe does it fit in? Yeah. And then do it in millimeters and maybe round it to the nearest half a centimeter or yeah. centimeter. That works for me. Yeah, works fine. I reckon half a centimeter because mm-hmm. then you got a bit more accuracy. And you should factor in the width of the foot because different width feats make a difference yeah and feats is the correct plural in that situation and like you do it with jeans like you get the waist of the jeans and the length right we can have two-dimensional sizes yeah for for jeans why can't we do it for shoes so i thought it could be to the nearest half a centimeter length and width it turns out there is yet another way of sizing shoes which is that oh i rediscovered mondo point i don't know how it's pronounced sizing no, no, I, can't, I can't see it, so I'm going to guess that that's it, how it's pronounced. It, well, if you, and very naive reading, it's the word mondo followed yeah. by the word point. Well, I, I can't see how I, I, can't, how I was uh, going to pronounce it. point? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but anyway, mondo, mondo sizing, as we're mondo calling point. it. Mondo point. Yeah, that's it. It's to the nearest five millimeter. I have no idea why we don't use that sizing. Yeah, mondo point. Let's get mondo it going. Point. Mondo point all the way. So how can people log what their mondo point size is? Here's what you do. You measure how long your foot is. Mm-hmm. You round it down to the nearest, well, you always go down. So oh. it we'd call that a floor function in mathematics. Okay. So if your foot was just over um, 265 millimeters, all the way up to 270, you just say 265. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's your, your shoe size. What about the, the width? Oh, uh, width is done the same way. Now, actually, to be fair, when I was looking into it, some people, the way you round it is not 100% clear. I'm pretty sure you round it down and you do the same thing for the width. Mm. I've not seen the width in use anywhere though. So well, we've got to start that. we got to start people using Mondo Point. Everyone. We need to start writing it under the tongues of our shoes, on the soles of our feet. That's it. Right, everyone. Yeah. Measure your feet, round down to the nearest half a centimeter and then sharpie them onto your shoe or, yeah. sew, or embroider them on yeah, the tongue. Yeah, sure. Embroider your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> The way you said so I that... I think we found the name of our episode. The way you said that implies that I've said something incredibly stupid without realizing that's not what you would do to a shoe. <laughs> no, no, you can get shoes embroidered. Thank you. What? Yeah. You, no, your, your tone has not changed since <laughs> I, I was a, pretty sure you were mocking me. No, it's just a lot of effort. <laughs> well, that's can never we, stopped me before. If you embroider your Monda point sizes onto your shoe... Or Matt, use a permanent marker. Matt will send you a book. Wait a minute. 
I'll tell you what, if anyone sharpies their Monda Point foot size onto their shoes, send us a photo and we'll retweet it. It's at a problem squared. And hypothetically, the first one I get, which is embroidered, I will send them a book. Yeah. The first one. And I'll sign it. And you can sign it too. But anyway, does that solve your shoe size problem? It does. It does. Because my, my problem was, what's the deal with them? And if you, That is the deal with them, me. yes. Yeah. So you have solved that problem. Tick. Thank Ding. you. But what we've accidentally done is revealed a much bigger problem. Yeah, that shoe sizes are a mess. Yeah. So I think that this is a problem that's bigger than the both of us. And not until we've got enough people out there I don't using think we Mondo can, Point yes. system. If everyone switches to Mondo Point, then we can count that one. We'll collectively as well. mark yeah. it off the list. We have a problem from one of our listeners who's not a listener yet, but they will be soon. Very surely, surely. Well, they replied to if you they want an on answer Twitter. To the question, they're well, going to have exactly. to listen. Yeah. They replied to you on Twitter and said, when you asked for problems to solve, what is the most number of my own organs I can sell for the highest profit without dying in the process? Yeah. Now, the first thing I want to say uh, to little Mikey is um, thanks for ruining my Google algorithm. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's, You've I'm, just been searching for prices for black market organs. I am definitely on a register somewhere. Like, absolutely, definitely. It's pretty messed up. Um, so that was fun. Thank you very much for that. First of all, I wanted to look up how many body parts you can live without. Oh, yeah. What's optional? Um, so I found this on a BBC News article. You can live with one lung, one kidney, without a spleen, uh, without an appendix or gallbladder, adenoids, tonsils, some of your lymph nodes, fibular bones, ribs, uh, up to six ribs. You can lose <laughs> up to six ribs. Up to six ribs. Wow. Um, uterus, ovaries, breasts, testicles, prostate. And then further on, if you have help from like medications or um, like okay, a so bag or... Your or, life will change, but you can, with yeah. medical intervention, you'll survive. So on top of that, you can then go with your, without a stomach, without a co- part of your colon, pancreas, salivary glands, thyroid, bladder, and your other kidney. Because you plug into a dialysis machine. Yep. yep. Uh, and then if you... Uh, I'm just going to say, given the original question was to make a profit selling these things, I think the cost of dialysis must outweigh... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're not we're not onto that yet. Oh, okay, though. right. This is, going, just this is just absolutely everything you could live, you without. Can live without. What about um, one of your eyes? Surely yeah, you could lose... eyes, limbs, nose, ears, larynx, tongue, lower spine, and rectum, your skull, your heart, and your other lung. But all of these will require you to be basically on a machine. You would have essentially not much of a life. So basically, you can live without up to forty five percent of your body mass. 45% but of your body mass. You What's can lose left? And still live. Your brain? Yeah, and, and some blood. <laughs> but um, what, what I will say before you run out and try this at home is um, if you were to lose all of those things at once, you would uh, die of trauma. You go into shock, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you go into shock, exactly. And uh, even if you tried to go one at a time and have things removed slowly, your immune system would be so compromised that you would eventually get an infection and die. So do not recommend that. But that's a little uh, beginning. So now looking at what of those parts can you sell? And that was really interesting. So um, uh, and I have I've rounded up with these and I've got to say it depends where you're selling them as well, because certain countries you'll get a lower amount because I guess there's more people selling. Um, technically, in the UK, you won't get an amount because it is illegal. Oh, right. That's, yep. <laughs> 
Um, but uh, and in most of these cases, these are all illegal. So it's actually really hard to get amounts because usually black market retailers don't they're do not their advertising tax. no so yeah <laughs> so given you've got to go to different markets for different organs and you can't really ship organs very easily you've just got to travel to these different locations yeah so there'd be a cost involved with that and as then well. you offload and organs you need a in broker. different places oh. so there are organ trader like organ traders and they will take a fee and then of course then there's the fees on top of that to have the organ removed safely so that you survive so there's all the cost of that so and um, you just search for all of this in your normal web browser you just logged in like normal <laughs> yeah, yeah you weren't I using nope <laughs> like tor or anything you were definitely on wow, a list wow you were definitely on a list um so for instance you can get up to 105,000 pounds for a kidney but uh, 105,000 pounds yeah up to up, up to, to that's not what you would get though that's what the selling price would be so the brokers can tend to take a huge percentage as well as the cost of surgery so actually realistically if you were to sell your um, body parts i haven't done the um, calculations here but in us dollars you'd probably only get between 1000 and 10000 us dollars for a kidney oh. after all the costs yeah so even if, if you got a really good kidney you're going to get max 10000 us dollars yeah probably in your pocket but you know it depends how good your <laughs> depends how good your organ agent is so um, what, what, the other thing I learned by researching this is that um, is if you can find a buyer, you can sell anything. Like that's all it comes down to is like, does someone want it? it you don't know what you're going to use it for. And I'll delve into that more deeply. But let's go in with, um, with some of these organs. Yeah. First. So, um, so your lung, you could get uh, 200 grand for that. Your spleen, you can get only 364 pounds. Only 364 oh. pounds for a spleen. But who wants a spleen? People have them removed anyway. It's, it's your a buyer's market for spleens. It is a gallbladder, 874. Your uh, uh, rib is $40 US each. You can so sell up ribs. To six. Yeah, I think it's just for display. I don't know. You can buy them. You can buy them for 40 bucks. You can buy I ribs. I found a site where you can buy human skeletal things. So um, yeah, you can get about 40 bucks for a, for a rib. So times that by four, convert it into pounds. That's about 186 pounds and 30p. Uh, I've created an Excel sheet for this, Matt. You'd be real I'm proud. I'm very proud. You'd be so proud. Now, there was an instance where one guy said that he managed to sell a testicle, but it's kind of a bit more complicated than that because essentially it was part of a trial where he had a testicle removed and a false one put in. And the cost of that trial paid him roughly around £30,000. Okay, this so was over in the US. So this is a case where you're involved in some kind of medical research. Yeah, during so which it's you not a case of, something. Exactly. Right. So it's not like he he just sold his testicle on the market. It was like part of an ongoing. Okay, but to be involved thing. in that trial, he had to start with a perfectly good testicle, right, and end up with one less testicle. Yeah. So I've said, well, in my head, in my calculations, that I've counts. gone, what if you could sell both testicles in some trial? If you could find a trial where that's happening. Um, then technically you could make up to 60 grand. So with all of those in mind, while staying alive, you could make 361,424 pounds 30. But that's, I mean, I've rounded up a lot. That's up to the amount. Then we can go into the bits that if you wanted to sell them and hook yourself up to a bunch of machines. There's ongoing costs afterwards. To, yeah. yeah right. um, your stomach can fetch uh, 364 grand. Your pancreas uh, can go for up to 100,000. Apparently, pancreas, I thought was very interesting. A lot of people um, do pancreas transplants to help with diabetes. Oh. But also apparently pancreas is quite easy to come by with um corpses right so yeah I, I i wouldn't quote me on that one i wouldn't quote me on any of this to be honest 
eyes and corneas, you could get up to 18 grand. Um, your shoulder, 358. Your shoulder? Look, I don't know. It just said shoulder, so I wrote it down. Uh, on that note, hand and forearm, you could get 276. Why do I feel like the spreadsheet's one day going to be like Exhibit B in some Absolutely. court case? Absolutely, yeah. It's definitely going to show up. We found this on Beck's laptop. It's real dodge. I haven't saved it. I'm going <laughs> to discard this that might as be soon for the as best. this podcast is recorded. Ligaments and bones, just over two grand. Your scalp, 435. Your skull, 861. You can live without your skull on a machine. Uh, when I first saw this question, I was like, oh, that's a fun little quirky question. We can look at <laughs> the longer you're talking, the more the ethical concerns are building up for me. Oh, yeah. I'm not like condoning any of this whatsoever. Um, finally, your heart, you can fetch up to 425 grand for it. So, in total, if you wanted to sell all those body parts, you could make just over 900000 but I wouldn't advise it. And also, those are wildly ranging prices. I've just I've picked them off the internet. But I thought, you know, everyone wants a, a figure. So, that's what I'm there going with, just over 900000 900,000 pounds. What I thought was most interesting is um, the other things you can sell. So... Um, First of all, the uh, I should mention your uterus. You can have a uterus transplant now. There's been 18 women in the UK have had uterus transplants so that they can give birth. I don't know that's amazing. how that's gone on. Yeah, um, there's no price, so I think people have donated them. There's not been I any I feel a lot better involved. with that. This, this, this is better news. Okay. Yeah, also a lot of these prices um, I got off of a website called buddyloans.com, which is a loans-based website that wanted to tell you how much your body parts are worth, which I think is a problem in itself. Also, another of the websites was Leisure Jobs. I'm assuming it's jobs that you can do that don't involve that much work, but I would argue this is a lot of work. Some interesting stuff. 2011, a Chinese boy sold his kidney for uh, 20,000 yuan, which was uh, what an iPad cost. He wanted an iPad, so he sold a kidney. I'm both amazed at medical science and what humankind can do and dismayed at... Yeah. Also, that iPad is definitely out of date now. Yeah. That's, you know, I would want more for that. I'd want more for my kidney. So let's get on to the other things that you can sell, which aren't body parts, but you produce. You can sell your blood. Or plasma, that's about eleven pounds a, a pop. Is that in the US? Do you get paid for blood? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So over in the US, over in the UK, you can sell your hair for oh. up to five pounds an ounce. That's on Wigs UK. <laughs> um, there's also in the states. If you're a stateside listener, uh, you can go to thehairtrader.org if you wish to sell your hair. I think you can make up to a grand over there. Um, sperm, you can make up to a hundred pounds if you go and donate your sperm over there. And I think you can donate several times a month. Oh, wow. So you can make up to 600 US dollars a month. That's in, a good income in, stream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly a stream. Um, eggs. Um, so women can donate their eggs. You can, uh, make up to nine grand donating your eggs. It is incredibly painful. That's very invasive. It involves short shots, hormone therapy, uh, like a lot of stuff. Yeah. You can be a surrogate. If you if you have a womb, you can be a surrogate mother. That can take up to that can pay up to forty grand. These are in pounds. Um, bone marrow you can make up to two grand donating a bone marrow. Um, breast milk up to seven pounds a bottle. That's quite a big one as well. There's some uh, really good stories about uh, about that because um, breast milk is in high demand for, for women who can't oh. produce it, and there's a lot of women who overproduce breast milk. So it's a really it's actually a really interesting community that's built up around that. 
Um, feces, you can sell your poo for up to nine grand a year. Nine grand a year. Yeah, there are people with certain conditions that genuinely need fecal transplants because their gut doesn't have the bacteria yeah. needed to break down food. I've so. come across this where if you've not got the right culture of yeah. bacteria or whatever's going on in there, you can get... But I thought it was like yeah, a, your culture's just not enough. I thought it was like a one-time thing. You'd do a fecal transplant and that would then... Fix it forever. Fix it. Like it would cause that, that whatever bacteria to then be in, in your system. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just need a, a few shots on going. I'm not as it gets used to it. I'm not sure. I I wasn't doing a whole bit about. <laughs> no, no. Uh, uh, you made the right decision. Uh, urine. You can get up to 14 pounds per ounce. There's actually a website in the states called Urine the Clear. Nice. Which is where you buy urine for With, urine for tests. urine tests. Yeah. So people aren't doing any form of drugs and they sell clean urine. Yep. So there you go. Also, if you are You're in the money would have also been an acceptable name. That would be a great one. You should check that to see if that's a website already. I'm not going to do that. You're definitely going to do that. Because my search history is still squeaky clean. (laughs) So yeah, if you can find a buyer, you can make money. So um, yeah, that's that's how much money you can... (laughs) So in conclusion... In conclusion, I found it a really interesting thing because... For anyone who doesn't know this, I now have the title of Tooth Fairy. That That is true. You are surprisingly qualified to answer this problem. Yeah. So I realized that the only thing that differentiates the Tooth Fairy from anyone else is the fact that the Tooth Fairy buys teeth. And so I was like, well, if I buy teeth, then that makes me a Tooth Fairy. Now, I didn't want to muscle in on the Tooth Fairy's actual territory. So I've gone in saying that uh, I've set some ground rules. I will only buy teeth from people who are 18 and over. That's a good ground rule. Yep. Because, you know, kids, they've got their own tooth fairy. Their, yep, yep. I'll deal with the adults. So any adults who find themselves in possession of their baby teeth or any extracted teeth, anything like that, you can come to me. They have to be your teeth. You have to be the owner of them. So no brokers for teeth. No, no, I don't. It feels a bit dodgy that way. Um, the deal has to be done in person. I don't want any teeth in the mail or anything like that. For someone who's trying to buy other people's teeth, you're being very sensible about this. Yeah, well, you know, you gotta you got to keep a... And how many teeth have you acquired? One. I've got about 14 now. That's great. They're all from the same woman, though, so I did cheat. But uh, yeah, I, sell, I uh, buy them for £2 a tooth or £5 or a pint for a wisdom tooth. I haven't got any wisdom teeth yet. But if anyone's listening and wants to sell them to me. By the way, for anyone listening, I haven't got a plan of what to do with the teeth yet. Everyone asks me that. I don't know. And if I do come up with something, I won't do anything with them unless I have implicit permission from all the people who have sold me their teeth. But when I started telling people about this, they were really grossed out. And they're like, oh, it's creepy. Why do you want people's teeth? Why would you buy them? What do you do with them? And yet, look at this list of things that you can buy and sell from the body. And that it's an ongoing business. It's an actual thing. So I think my little hobby is nothing. You've really recontextualized your buying teeth. Because like when I first saw that on Twitter, I was like, I just saw back a couple hours ago. (laughs) She seemed fine. And now on Twitter, she's trying to solicit teeth, right? But actually now of all the things that you can sell for money, I think that's one of the most harmless. Yeah. Put it into context. So there you go. So it turns out you can make about 0.9 million pounds. Yeah. I mean, if you're crafty, back in 99, someone on eBay tried to sell a kidney and it got up to 5.75 million before it got taken down by eBay. So, you know, it's a, it's a based on demand and in short we need to hurry up medical research to be able to grow new organs for people well it's funny you say that because uh i was looking into thyroids to see whether you could sell those mm-hmm. and apparently the success rate for um for them is very low they try and transplant them and, and they basically never take 
but they have started 3D printing them and that has been much more successful. Okay. So we are getting into areas where previously untransferable organs are, are being 3D printed. So one day there won't be a market for There's this. hope for the future. Yeah, unless you need money, in which case you're stuffed. So this problem comes from PRL at uh, USRBIN PRL. And they asked, given the general cost of running a fridge is the electricity and that they're continually becoming more energy efficient whilst electricity becomes more expensive, how often should one buy a new one? That's a good question because technically a more efficient fridge could save you more money on your power bill than the cost of buying the fridge. Right. So I looked into it and fridges were hugely inefficient right up until the 70s. Okay. And so a fridge from around the 1970s will be using 2,000 kilowatt hours per year. All right. And a kilowatt hour is just how we measure electrical energy being used by any appliance. So you get charged Otherwise in kilowatt Otherwise known hours. as orcas. Orcas? Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of kilo whales. Sorry, continue. Oh, you're thinking of kilo whales. Yes, yeah. kilo, kilo watt hours. And so one kilowatt hour is roughly 860 calories, like kilocalories, like on packaging. Oh. So a normal human. So you can measure a fridge by calories. Yeah, yeah. You, the, the amount of calories you can fit in the fridge and how many calories a year it takes to run. And so a human needs about three kilowatt hours of power a day. Okay. To carry on. Right. And fridges were using 2,000 a year. Mm -hmm. But then by the 90s, they were down to about 750. In the 2000s, they were down to 500. And now, if you buy a fridge, it's not far above 250 kilowatt hours per year to run. Whoa. So they're way, it's insane. That's less than a human. We're coming up on, exactly. Your fridge uses less energy than you do in a year. So would it then, would it not just be cheaper and easier if I just got like a little bike? Yeah, if you powered the fridge, yes. Yeah. Um, You need to eat, anyway, you need to eat more, you need a bigger fridge. It's an escalating problem. So yeah, basically fridges are way better now. They're they're coming up on 10% of the power requirements and the volume's gone up. Like you can fit more stuff in a modern fridge and it's coming up on using 10% of the energy that they did when they first came out in the 70s. And it's because there's been regulation after regulation that demand that they become more and more efficient. So the question now is, how much does the fridge cost and how much does the electricity cost? Yes. I looked up wholesale electricity costs over the last mm, almost a decade. I was able to find the data on. And the thing is, wholesale prices go up and down wildly. So I got everything from 2010 through to now, August, well, the, the data goes up to August 2019, and the it's always priced in megawatt hours, so 1,000 kilowatt hours. Okay. And it averages out to about 50, 40 or 50 pounds per megawatt hour, but then what you get charged as a customer, the wholesale price is roughly a third of your total bill. Uh-huh. So it comes in at about give or take 150 pounds per thousand kilowatt hours. Right. I'm saying the words that make it sound like I understand. I was about to say you're saying, uh, the fact that you're saying one word answers means that uh, (laughs) you've tuned out. Okay, so look, the moral of the story is the prices go up and down all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so power companies who have to buy this wholesale power 
then try and average it and charge the customer an average because you don't want your bill going up and down yeah, a load. Yeah. So I tried to average the wholesale prices over a rolling 12-month window to try and average across an entire year. Okay. And over the last decade-ish, they've mm. gone up by 10%. But actually, they went down for the first two-thirds of the decade, then they went up. So I don't agree with the premise that power costs are going up. To be fair, I've not factored in if you want to get all renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole, I briefly looked at the wholesale market for how you get renewable energy. And it's interesting, but... Do you know what I love? about this is that with the problems that I had to solve for this one, I very much rounded out or just chose a number and went, ah, that's roughly right. Let's go with that one. Otherwise, this will take ages. And what you've done is shown exactly why you won't do that. No, no, I have done my equivalent (laughs) of that. The fact that I was prepared to round to about 10% over about a decade. (laughs) But now I, I know exactly how accurate that rounding is it's not great but it's fine so anyway i then went on and i i found a standard buying white goods website and mm-hmm. i looked up i just searched for fridge freezer and yeah. got the 10 first responses as an average sample and the prices range from about 200 pounds up to nearly 500 pounds but they average cost of a new fridge is 260 pounds okay and you get a decent amount of volume. It's about 165 liters. That's pretty standard. And it uses, on average, 254 kilowatt hours a year. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much 250. Which means that, in grand conclusion, if you own a fridge from the 90s, yeah, and it is using 750 kilowatt hours a year, and you get rid of it, and you replace it with a modern one using 250, you will get back the money you spent on the fridge in three and a half years. If you've got a fridge from the 2000s, which is about 500 kilowatt hours a year, and you replace it with a 250, you'll get your money back in seven years. Huh. So there you are. So if you've got a fridge from the 90s, you'll make your money back three and a half years. Fridge from the thousands, seven years. The interestingly though, if you've got a fridge from the 90s, or even from the 2000s, anything before 2010, and you're like, oh, I'll get a new one. And I'll put the old one in like the garage or somewhere to be like a beer fridge. Mm. No, if you get rid of it and buy a second whole fridge, it'll still be cheaper within, you know, four to seven years to have just got rid of it. Don't even try and use it as a second fridge. Buy a second fridge if you want a beer fridge. Oh, so it's, it's cheaper to buy a second fridge as your spare fridge than to use your old fridge as a spare fridge. Exactly. It's not even worth trying to repurpose it as a backup fridge because it's still using loads of power. Wow. And the only thing I've not looked into is if you're doing this for environmental reasons, I don't know the environmental impact of getting rid of a fridge and I don't know the carbon impact of making a new fridge. But the power saving is so much that if you've got a fridge from the 90s, a ballpark, I reckon it's definitely better for the environment to get rid of it and get a new one. Fridges after 2000, I have to double check. If you've got an old school fridge from before the 90s. Repurpose it into a door for a for a hipster bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To, you know, use it in the garden as a novel planter pot or something, right? You can definitely get a new fridge if it's older than the year 2000. Cool. That doesn't quite answer the question. Though, oh, really? What was the... Which is how often should you buy a new one? That's... Oh, yeah, good point. So I'm saying if you've got an old one, it's currently, if it's more than five, ten years old, you should. However, we're plateauing out 
on the improvement. So ah. we're down to 250 kilowatt hours. I don't know how much lower that's going to go. I suspect if you buy one now, it's going to do you for a while. It's not going to get down much more than that. And even if it gets down to like 100 kilowatt hours, it's not going to be a big difference because we're pretty close to the bottom. So I would say if you haven't bought a new fridge in a while, it's worth doing it now and you won't have to update for another couple of decades. Thanks, Matt. Does that count? Probably Is that problem solved? I think that's problem solved. Thank you very much. Ka-ching! My problem for you, Beck, is yes. that I need to hurry up and buy Christmas presents for my nieces. Ah. And as always, I struggle to think of a cool... Well, I, I was going to say educational <laughs> gift, but I think that's my problem in a nutshell. Yeah. Your, what you need is you struggle on the cool side. Very much so. But you keep so. going for the educational side. I bought them all sorts of science things over the years. How old will your nieces be at Christmas? At Christmas, they will be seven and nine. Ah, seven. Oh, good ages too. So this is these are ages I deal with. Yes, because you're an expert in this. I do comedy for kids and that is like the pinnacle age, six to 12. So really? seven, seven to nine, to nine is perfect. Nice. And these um, are comedy shows where you entertain young people. I do. Yeah, yeah. It's really fun. I very much enjoy it. I get to do stuff on TV and get gunged and everything. It's good fun. And because of that, I know exactly what the kids are wanting brilliant, this Christmas. Brilliant, brilliant. Right, so strap yeah. yourself in. I did I'm a ready. little research for you. So uh, the first one, which I just think is fantastic and I thought you might get a laugh out of it, is a Harry Potter invisibility cloak. You can buy an invisibility cloak. Yep, is it like an empty packet? No, it's 60 pounds. <laughs> and you're going to love this, Matt. Um, basically, it's an invisibility cloak because on the <laughs> the lining is green. And when you show it with an app, it turns your cape into a green screen if you turn the cape inside out. And then you can show yourself disappearing in the app. Okay, that is very cool. Yes, but they're charging 60 pounds for what is essentially I a piece own of green material. Green screen material. Hey, I'm crafty. We can make we them can an make invisibility that. cloak. Oh, that's so good. Okay, no, I really like that invisibility cloak. Yeah. Because um, You're going to have to get them an app as well. My older niece is a big reader. Reads, mm. reads, reads, reads. I'll mm. just double check. She's read the Harry Potter stuff and then boom, invisibility cloak. Done. All right, we've sorted. Next. Now, this one I just found problematic, but I wanted to bring it up, is the Scruffer Loves My Real Rescue you know how you get these like toy dogs? No. You don't know what a toy dog oh, is? No, I'm aware of the separate concepts of a toy and a dog. Yeah, like the little electronic, like it's sort of half robot, half cuddly toy. You know, you get different little toy dogs that follow you around or whatever. This is one of those. This is, <laughs> right, okay. Uh, right now, there's people just listening assume. going, yeah, that makes sense. Why can't Matt understand the idea? Okay, let's assume I'm totally down with a cuddly robotic dog that stalks you around the house. <laughs> yeah. So now you can get one that's called My Real Rescue, where it's meant to be like a rescue dog and it comes all with like scruffy fur and stuff and, and you trauma. brush it and wash it and it's really timid and then it starts to come out and you like tame it. And part of me is like, oh, it's kind of sweet. But the other part's like, just buy an old toy dog. Like, yeah, that's like the if point. they were secondhand. The whole point of a rescue is that it's you're saving something that wasn't wanted. Part of me is that's good teaching empathy and training up a timid robot to be an outgoing robot that achieves its full potential. <laughs> but I'm still, I don't know. I, do, I tell you what taught me empathy as a kid. Whenever my mum found a toy that was abandoned, like on the road or something, and it was all messed up, she'd take it home and wash it and then fix it and give it new eyes and stuff. There you are. See? Right. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's it. a so, rescue pet. Okay, good. So, so what I'm so saying far, is find a toy on the road. Yeah, about to say, invisibility cloak give it to your or... Other niece. Here's some, some kind of other toy options. on the road. Yep. This one's pretty cool. It's a smart pixelator. 
uh, with art capitalized and smart. Do you remember those bead things as kids where you put the bead on there and you iron it? And it oh, turns yeah, into it like forms a like a mosaic thing. Yeah, so yeah. it's that, but it comes with, again, we're talking apps, but it comes with an app where you upload a photo into it and it gives you the sort of pixelated template to print out that you put under it so that then you can pixelate your photos and do it as a beaded oh, thing. I do like pixels. I know you do. That's why I thought That's of you. got the right amount of maths in it too. So what was that one called? That's the Smart Pixelator. Art in capital letters. Art in capital letters. I yeah. should make it clear, we, we're not being sponsored for this. Oh, no. Yeah, no, no, no. No, yeah. no money is changing hands. <laughs> I realize this has started to sound like an ad, but these are just some cool toys that I found. If people uh, want to sponsor us, brand beads are available. Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah, if you want to buy that off the rack, that is somewhere between 50 and 70 pounds, depending on my handwriting. <laughs> so it's 60 pounds yeah. with a standard deviation of maybe four pounds. <laughs> then, uh, of course, the uh, the Oculus Quest is on my Christmas list, but this is very high end. You're looking between four and 500 pounds. Wait a minute. Are you just dropping in your Christmas list? <laughs> <laughs> where Can you see where the line began? Yes, I can. <laughs> it was super obvious. But hey, who, what kid's going to turn down virtual reality? And then your nieces can watch my latest show. I'll be back. Wait a minute. <laughs> which you and Lucy started. No, I'll be honest. Smooth. I'm going to come down with the final one. And this right. is definitely yep. Yep. is the Lego Mars research shuttle. It's 20 pounds. It links in with what you and your wonderful wife, Professor Lucy Green, do. And uh, I think that. Let's would... be honest. What my wonderful wife does. She's the legitimate space scientist. Well, yeah, but you do um, uh, um, gifts. Yes. <laughs> you do the gift side. I'm a supportive supportive spouse yeah there you go so i think that's what i think that's your other one is the lego mars research shuttle lego mars done that beck is a problem solved yes so that's all the problems solved in this first episode i think it's been a successful first outing yeah I don't think we need to make any more. No, I think we're done. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what we'll need to make more are more problems. So yes. I'll, I'll definitely come up with some more for you, Matt, and vice versa. But any listener problems would be welcomed. We're at a problem squared. On most social media. On most social formats. media. Yes. Yeah. We also, we haven't got sponsors or anything for this podcast. We're not quite sure how we're going to make it all work, but we will have a Patreon. Yeah. One so. of our problems is we're currently running at a loss. Yes. Yeah, so, so if you can solve that, that problem, us. we'll set up a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash a problem squared, you can pay a number of currency units that we will decide mondo per points? episode. <laughs> no, we do take Mondo points. <laughs> and uh, we won't have any perks there just yet. But if you get involved, you can request what you would like to see as a backer or someone someone who's paying per episode to make this happen. Of course, for everyone else, it's still completely free to listen to and to send in your problems to get them squared. Is that it? Yes. I'm going home now. <laughs> <laughs>